So earlier today I was listening to Jocko Willink, who's a retired Navy SEAL, on Theo Vaughn's podcast. Theo Vaughn's a uh, comedian. And uh, it was really interesting to talk, to listen to them talk. A lot of it was Theo Vaughn just asking real straightforward questions and Jocko answering them. Um, in general, you know, it wasn't as much, it was more of an interview than a conversation, but it was a little of both, I guess. And uh, one of the questions Theo asked was about were men generally getting softer than they used to be? And Jocko's answer was really interesting because he said, on the one hand, he's met a lot of young people, both in the military and not, that are tougher than he ever was. Uh, I believe hard as nails is the phrase he used. But he said there's a lot of men that grow up never being told that it's good to be strong, it's good to be uh, accomplished, it's good to do well in school. And um, maybe the opposite, right? Maybe they're told it's not good to be strong, it's not good to be a man. And it was interesting to listen to, and and uh, and that's why I wrote my book. Which today's podcast is brought to you by my book, The Toxic Masculinity Crisis, which addresses the idea um, put into the popular culture that being masculine is toxic, being a man is bad, and it goes into what Jocko was talking about. People don't hear that competing and winning is good. People don't hear that being stronger than you are yesterday is good. People don't hear that being smarter, more prepared in all ways than you were yesterday is good. And and the point of the book is to tell those stories and to show all throughout history how masculinity has been a force for good. And how as men we need to reclaim that. And it's not just for men to read the book, you know, for young women or for women to read the book and to know you know, what they should be looking for in a man, how a man should treat them, and those kinds of things. So that's all in there. It's available now on Amazon.com, The Toxic Masculinity Crisis by Dennis M. Brown. Great deal. And now also available on Kindle. For those of you who don't want pages, you just want the Kindle version. So check it out. I would appreciate it, and I think that you'll like it. Earlier today, the, uh, the uh, question of race and children came up, and, and um, somebody had said something about, um, you know, not teaching children. I don't remember what, I actually don't remember what he said, but it made me think about my own kids, and I have four, I'm a father of four, all with the same woman who I'm married to. <laughs> Crazy dinosaur. And so I've had, you know, a decent uh, chance to sort of watch children become aware of the world and how they perceive things. One of the things that I know is true with kids is if a kid trusts you, most of the time they'll believe what you tell them. So now last night we went to go see a... uh, a Native American storyteller tells some stories and one of his stories about rock giants. Stone giants? Stone giants. And a young uh, member of a tribe who encountered one.
the story was really um, sort of three different lessons for kids all wrapped up in a one story the boy the day before he meets the stone giant is kind to a small green turtle for no reason and the following day when he's facing off with the stone giant the turtle helps him so there's a little lesson in there about being kind to animals or not being needlessly cruel to animals anyway and then the mother warns him not to go to the north because that's where the stone giants live and he doesn't listen to her so there's the lesson of you know listening to your mother obeying your mother and then in the end the stone giant loses this contest and the boy wins with the turtle's help and the stone giant becomes so angry that he crumbles apart He's frustrated with rage and embarrassed so there's something in there about controlling your emotions and your feelings and all in all is a good story and the guy was a great storyteller I wish I'd written his name down but I didn't his father wrote a book called How Chipmunk Got His Stripes so if you google that you'll find the dad and the son's name I think is John but maybe the dad is John but anyway cool he was a cool guy and um, afterwards oh and then I told my I've been talking to my son he's six my son is six years old he's the youngest I've been talking about how important it is to look at a, look a man in the eye so when he's in trouble I don't make it hard on him I get down on my knee I have him stand up I get down on my knee and he's still I'm still taller than him but not as bad right and while I talk to him I tell him he's got to look at me it's important to be able to look a man in the eye so he's getting pretty good. And I've talked to him about saying thank you and apologizing and I taught him to shake hands. So this this man, the storyteller, finished his story and I told my son, all right, now you go tell him thank you and you enjoyed the story and you shake his hand and don't forget, you got to look him in the eye. And my son went over there and uh, the man was trying to clean up his, some of his demonstration items. And my son sort of sheepishly said that... Uh, he enjoyed the story and the guy said oh good you know good he's kind of not looking and my son said thank you for coming and the man said oh you're welcome buddy and then he turned and looked and realized my son was looking him right in the eye and had his hand out for a handshake <laughs> and the guy was blown away I was so proud of my son he did good that should be like a class you teach kids you're really young but anyway that was cool it was a cool moment for me as a dad to watch him be able to do that and then I got close up to the guy because I thanked him too and the guy was my height, but jacked. Like two of me wide. and I, I, So really, I sent my son over to this monster to make him shake his hand. I didn't realize how big the guy was from halfway across the room, but he was real big. Anyway, afterwards, my son was scared of stone giants. So I told him, no, no, no. In the story, he said that, that stone giant was the last stone giant, which the guy didn't say that. I just made that up trying to like I don't want to be afraid of the stupid thing so my son thought about it for a little bit and he said okay and he thought about it for a little bit and he's like wait how do you know it's the last one and I said that's what he said in the story it's the last one and he's like yeah but how does he know it's the last he's got a point right how do you know it's, there's no more if there's ever any so I'm like buddy it's just a story there's never really a stone giant well he didn't believe me for a bit. I don't know how he's feeling about today, but yesterday he was not buying that there were never a stone any stone giants. 
the guy was a really good storyteller. He, he acted out the stone giant, where they lived, what they did. So it wasn't just a, a mention of it. He stomped across the thing. Anyway. But generally speaking, if kids trust you, they believe just about anything you tell them. As they get older, you can tease them with that. You can tell them things that are absolutely ridiculous and watch them believe you and then realize you're kidding. That's a fun game to play. It's probably it's probably not the greatest idea ever, but it can be funny. So, in the course of raising four kids, at one point or another, all of them have encountered people of other races. Now, my daughters were all born in Florida, Tampa area. We lived south of Tampa. And um, our neighbor across the street, we had you know neighbors all around us, but our neighbor across the street was one, the one neighbor we were the closest with, uh, Orlandi. She was from Haiti. Well, she grew up in Miami, but I think she was born in Haiti. I mean, she was, you know, she's American. But her parents, I think, spoke Creole at home. She still spoke Creole. And the way we met Orlandi was the first... We bought the house and moved in, like, July. And the first Christmas, so, like, you know, five, six months later, there was a tin of cookies in our uh, mailbox with a little note from Orlandi saying that you know she meant to come over and say hi but she didn't know what to say and that she wanted to wish us a Merry Christmas so then we baked something my wife baked something and we brought it over to her I think the kids brought it over but anyway so then we, we ended up becoming friends so she would come hang out with my wife and they would have tea and chat my wife would go over there and they'd watch movies together and uh, so my daughter's you know she, Orlandi was around all the time and I don't remember which one of them, but I remember one of them asking her why her skin was so different color, you know. I don't remember what she said, something to the effect of she didn't she didn't know, but you know, it was that was her skin. And uh, I remember after she left, the kids said, how come Mr. Landy's skin is so different than ours? She's real dark, 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 dark. And I just said, well, you know, that's how God makes people. They're different. Everybody's different. Some people have different color skin. Some people have different color eyes. Some people have different color hair or different, you know, straight hair or wavy hair. That's just how people are made. My daughter was like, oh, okay. That was the end of it. She never brought it up again. It's never been a question. It's never been a debate. Their minds are just forming when they're young, three, four years old, and they have questions about things like that. You can totally set them straight very easily early on. Like, hey, that's just how the world works. Like, how come I drop this apple? It falls on the floor. Because gravity exists. Okay. Now, they might have more questions about gravity as they get older, but for now, they just accept it. They can see it. You told them why, and that's just how it is. So a kid comes to you and says, like, how come those people look different? That's just how people are. Some people look different. And they go, oh, okay. My brother's wife is Asian, so his children obviously look a little different than my children. And I don't know. They've never asked. You know, it's their cousins. They've never... Uh, never been a thing. Just what their 
their customs look like. It's not an issue. I don't know how race becomes an issue. My son recently was playing, like I said, he's six, so it was probably a year ago, he's playing in a playground, and, uh, you know, kids at that age, four, five, six years old, there's other kids at the playground, they just want to play with other kids, they don't care uh, about anything, and so there was another little boy there, and a little black boy, and my son went over and was playing, they were playing together, they were running around playing, and I don't know, I didn't, I didn't think anything of it, his, his mom was on the other side of the playground sitting on a bench, and I was on this side of the playground sitting on a bench, and after they played for a little bit, she was kind of looking over at me and I waved hi to her and she waved hi back to me and that was that and afterwards that's when my son asked me he said daddy how come that boy's skin was so brown and I just told my son listen that's God makes people all different some have different color skin some have different color hair some have different color eyes different shapes you know everybody's different and he went oh okay same reaction I think if you told every kid in the world that same thing they'd all have the same reaction like oh alright that makes sense because it does make sense they can see with their eyes that somebody there standing there looks different and you tell them yeah that's because they're different alright but it's not an issue it's not a thing how do you never make it a thing it'll never become an issue quite frankly and here goes all my alt-right friends fans, listeners, sorry, all right, race is a stupid way to divide people, what the hell difference does it make, as far as I'm concerned, if you believe in private property rights, liberty of the individual bound only by another person's liberty, meaning you're free to do whatever you want as long as it doesn't hurt somebody else, You don't want to impose your beliefs, values, or taxes on me or anyone else. I have no problem. I don't really care anything else. That's all I care about. You know, extra plus. You believe in uh, monogamous marriages and having children and families and taking care of your property so it looks nice and whatever. Okay, I'm good. That's good. That's a bonus. What color somebody's skin is, or where they come from, or what language they speak, or what church they go to, that's It's not a consideration. I really don't care. Who cares? A way better way to divide people than by the color of their skin, or what, what continent their ancestors were from is, like, communist, not communist. That's a good way to divide people. I think I should be free to do as I please, including make money. You think I should not be free to do as I please or make money and that I should be some sort of slave to the state. That's a good way to divide people. Like, I want something. You think I shouldn't be allowed to have it. All right, well, now we have, an, now we have a disagreement. What color the skin of the person is that thinks that I should be a slave in a communist state? I don't know. What do I care? the hell difference does it make I don't mean to pretend that you don't know it like that I'm some some uh, post-racial whatever I forget all the things people say like obviously races exist there's no doubt that when you see a person you see their skin I'm just saying that no one should judge another person by it
assholes come in all colors. There's no sense looking at somebody thinking you look similar and deciding that you're going to be friends because of it. Or looking at someone and see they look different and decide you're going to be enemies because of it. What? Well, it doesn't even make any sense. I'm from the Northeast. I'm ethnically speaking part Italian, part Irish, part Dutch. Some of the biggest jerks I know are just like that. From the Northeast, part Italian, part Irish, part Dutch. Because I'm from here, so I know tons of people. Some of them are jerks. Then I moved down south, where the, the ethnic groups are much more diverse. There are a lot more black people in the south than where I grew up. I think New York City probably has even more, but I, I didn't spend a lot of time there. So I went down south, and uh, I met a lot of people who were a different race than me. And I realized something. Some of them are jerks. Most of them are not. And then I had a brilliant observation. Oh, the color of people's skin is irrelevant. Doesn't matter, man. I knew that before. I'm not saying I actually learned that as an adult. But as you meet more people of a race, you can be like, oh, okay, so... 5% of the people I know are jerks and 5% of these people are jerks. So jerk is a different thing. It's not dependent upon your upbringing, your religion, your race, your ethnicity, or whatever. Whatever. There's not really a point to this story or a moral or a joke. It's just trying to point out two things. One, that race is stupid. Who cares? And two is that kids... You can teach kids good things early on really easily if you spend time with your kid. And that's like the key to the whole thing. You gotta spend time with your kids. You gotta be around when they ask the questions. You don't want them asking questions like that to other people because you don't know how other people are gonna react or answer their questions. So you wanna be the person who's around all the time. And if you have a daughter like my third daughter that wants to ask a question every 30 seconds, you have to be really mindful not to get annoyed and send her away. Because some of those questions are important. A lot of them are not. She, she literally asks both myself and my wife each five times a day, what's for dinner? I'm not exaggerating. I finally determined that I think the reason she asks what's for dinner all day, every day, is because she just can't think of anything to, anything to say, and that spurs some kind of a conversation. So even if my response is, well, what did I tell you was for dinner five minutes ago when you asked me? At least we're talking. She, she likes that. I think, I think she's uh, not comfortable in silence, so she wants a, something to say, and that's just something to say. But even if you have a kid like that that asks questions all the time, questions they know the answer to, questions that you don't need to answer, questions that are silly, questions that don't matter, you got to be there. And don't discourage them from asking because eventually there's going to be a question that really is important. And they, they need to know that you'll listen and answer the question or they won't ask you. They'll go ask someone else. And there are questions in this life that you do not want your child asking to their peers or some other adult some questions and the answers really matter. That's a big part of parenting is being around your kids. 
when they have questions. I like to take my son and all my kids, but my son's the one who enjoys it the most, so I enjoy it the most because he enjoys it the most, but I like to take my kids outside for no reason. We go for a walk in the woods, we hang out in the front yard, whatever. My son is obsessed with animals, all kinds of animals. So he's a million questions when we're outside about worms, bugs, mosquitoes, bees, wasps, mole, chipmunk, squirrel. He wants to know everything. Centipedes. He wants to know everything there is to know. So I asked him his questions. That way, well, a couple things. One, I like it. I enjoy it. He clearly enjoys it. And two is that if I answer his questions about animals as he gets older and has questions about other things, he knows he can come ask me a question. I don't yell at the kids for asking questions. I don't act super annoyed when they ask questions. Not never. I mean, if I'm on the phone or trying to do work or something like that, I can tell them, you know, don't get annoyed by just telling them, hey, we're going to have to do this later. Come back and see me in an hour and we'll talk about it. Sometimes they do because they care. Sometimes they forget because they don't really care in the first place. It's just how it works. But being a parent is super important. Being around your kids as they grow, as they learn, as they do things. You've got to be there. You've got to steer that ship. You can't let TV raise your kids or strangers raise your kids or their friends raise them. You gotta be there. You gotta raise them up. You gotta teach them right from wrong. You gotta teach your son to look another man in the eye and shake his hand. Nobody taught me that. I had to figure it out on my own. My dad might have mentioned it, but we didn't like drill it, you know? I just think it's super important. I meet people or potential employees and they can't look at me they look at the floor look at the feet look at the ceiling look at the wall can't make eye contact it's not a good look gotta be able to do that look another man in the eye shake his hand it's good you gotta teach them that kind of stuff and you gotta be there to answer their questions and it's one of the reasons that two parents are important I'm, I'm not trying to insult anybody. Like, if you and them, you know, the other parent of your children, your husband or your wife aren't together, I'm not trying to insult you. But it's important that kids have two parents because kids learn early on which questions to ask mom and which questions to ask dad. Mom and dad are good at different things. Every mom and every dad are like, are like this, right? There's different things mom's good at and different things dad's good at. And they ask mom about stuff she's good at and they ask dad about stuff he's good at. They also figure out who says yes. So in my house, when the kids want to do something, they ask mom because mom says yes. Mom tries to figure out how to make it happen. I just say no. It doesn't really matter what it is. Hey, dad, can I? No. My theory on that is that my wife says yes too often. So I have to say no, even when I don't care or think the answer should be yes, to balance out the yeses and the noes. It's important for kids to hear no. So I think they don't hear it enough from my wife, so I, uh, I extra know them. But if they want to have a snack or a sleepover with a friend or to do something, they definitely ask mom. They figure that out. But like I said, you know, mom and dad are different and they're good at different things and they're expert in different things and, and kids are going to see that, see what dad handles and what mom handles, what mom does and what dad does and what dad talks about what mom talks about. And then they know where to go with their questions and they have these two different perspectives 
And they have these two different experts. And it, by the way, it doesn't matter. I'm not. I'm not saying that you need to. That the mom's expertise needs to be in uh, sewing and cooking dinner and cleaning house, and the dad's expertise needs to be in football and going to work. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that any any two people are going to be different. They're going to have different things they're good at. And in a marriage, you start deferring to each other in those areas, and your kids see it. They figure it out, so they they figure out where to go with questions. So if there's just a mom or just a dad, you don't have that balance. And then your kids have a question that they know you don't know the answer to, because it's not something you're good at. Then they don't know who to ask. So then maybe they go to their friends, or they go to a teacher, or they go to I don't know who, the neighbor, because they know you don't know. not good it's better to have mom and dad for a bunch of reasons but that's part of it so I looked up the storyteller his name is John Bruchak B-R-U-C-H-A-K I think of the Abernaki Indians which is an Algonquin group I don't know I'm not a Native American historian by any means but definitely good check him out if you get a chance to so that's it for today folks racism is stupid and parenting is really important listen I hope everyone has a fantastic Thursday evening or if you're listening to this on Friday a fantastic Friday Don't forget to go to Amazon.com or the Kindle uh, Marketplace store thing and check out the book, The Toxic Masculinity Crisis by Dennis M. Brown, worth every single penny. And then some. It's a steal. Thanks for tuning into the podcast, and we will check on you tomorrow.